G.A. Grissomthwaite is Inkla Katmuk, a member of the Lytton First Nation. He was a graphic designer in Vancouver and Kelowna before completing his master's in English literature and creative writing at the University of Windsor. His stories and poems have appeared in the Antigonish Review, Our Stories Literary Journal, Free File, Exile Quarterly, Indian Country, Offset 17, Prism International, and Bawajigan Stories of Power. Grissom Thwaites' work has earned a number of prizes, including the 2014 John Kenneth Galbraith Literary Award for his short story, The Fine Art of Frying Eggs. His first novel, Home Waltz, published by Palimpsest Press, was shortlisted for the 2021 Governor General's Award for English Language Fiction. And his short story, Splatter Patterns, was shortlisted for the 2021 CBC Short Story Prize. Grissomthwaite's new short story collection, published by Freehand Press, is Tales for Late Night Bonfires. G.A. Grissomthwaite lives in Kingsville, Ontario, and we are thrilled that he will be one of the featured guests during BookFest Festival du Livre, Windsor 2023, happening October 12th to 15th. We call him Gord, so welcome, Gord. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, Gord, you spent the early part of your life in British Columbia in the place where the Fraser River and the Thompson Rivers meet, but you're now in a different river region. You're living and working in Essex County with the Detroit River to the north and west of you and Lake Erie just to the south. How has being part of the writing community in this region influenced your storytelling? It's been huge. I had some of the best instructors any writer could ever ask for. Um, including Nino Ricci and Susan Holbrook and um, Carl Jurgens. Um, although I didn't have him as a creative writing instructor, Andre Narbonne I had as a creative writing instructor, and Nicole Marcottage. Overall, a pretty good crew. I learned I learned a lot. And there's just something about being out here um, that had a really positive impact on my writing. And before we get, we know this is an audio podcast, but we really need to acknowledge a fifth person on this call. So can you please give us your cat's name before we move on with the interview? Because the cat is very much present and very important to this process. Uh, I don't know about important, but present. (laughs) Um, She's Bitsy. My partner came up with the name. My wife came up with the name um, because I wanted to call her Hobbitsy Cat. I wanted because she eats and eats and eats. And I couldn't find um, a named female hobbit in 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 the in Tolkien, so she's like a hobbit, but she's not because she's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talking about other genres, before focusing on writing, you had a career as a graphic designer, and you now describe yourself as an accidental photographer as well. Does your interest in photography and design sense have any effect on your writing, do you think? With this book, uh, absolutely. I treated some of the stories, especially the last one, uh, like a design piece or a, or a huge prose poem. Um, as to my photography, I'm not sure there's a direct correlation, but I, I make pictures of pretty much the same way I write. I just pay attention to what's going on around me, and if I see something, but I don't necessarily go out and look for something because um, um, just planning stuff like this always backfires on me. And same one of the, same, especially, or the same as when I try to write, 
um, the story decides it's going to do something, and then I may as well just throw my um, plot out the window. So that's about, yeah, random, I guess. Although I don't really like the word term random, not the way we use it nowadays. Spontaneous, extemporaneous. Serendipitous? Serendipity works, yeah. Especially when it comes together and you get a good picture or a good story. Mm. I've also heard it referred to as being a pantser, as in seat of the pants. So, yes. you know, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that's another way to look at it. So, so I get a fun question here. How has your life as a writer changed since being shortlisted for the Governor General's Award? Overall, my life hasn't changed much, but the way I write has. I'm working, well, I've just, just about finished uh, another collection of stories. Um, I've sent them out to be considered. And because of um, the Gigi nom um, nomination, um, it's harder to write Skeeto stories now. It's, I have a higher bar. I, I, can't just, I can't just sit down and write a story and, and put it out there. It has to be better than the one that went before it. And I don't know if they're better or not. So it's just lots of anxiety. Oh. I'm not complaining. Will, will we hear more from Skeeto? Yes. Um, okay. There's a collection of short stories, um, and still we laugh, that I've just sent out to a publisher. And um, we'll see what they say in six months to a year. Um, and there's another novel. Um, I put that one off. I have two other projects I'm working on, three other projects I'm working on right now that are not at all Skeeto related because um, I don't need the anxiety. Or I don't want the extra anxiety. It Ooh. makes sense to take a break from Skeeto, I suppose, but there's now just a raging national appetite for Skeeto stories. So <laughs> hope we'll see him again. <laughs> Is there? I think so. Oh, golly. Huh? <laughs> Thanks. I needed that. <laughs> Oh, so your new book is Tales for Late Night Bonfires, a collection of curious, uncanny tales that can be told around the campfire, each one upping the next. Originally, this was the creative writing project you submitted in fulfillment of your Master of Arts program at the University of Windsor. So on the path towards publication, how has this collection changed since then? Um, many of the stories just required a little bit of spit and polish. Uh, some of the stories, um, I'm not sure. Yes, Catching Farts made the thesis. I don't, um, the last story, um, I just could not wrap my head around it. It was, it was, I knew it was a shaggy dog story. I knew it had Gramps. I knew it had the real Santa. And I knew it had Granny Lanny. But I had no idea about anything else. And so I just, kept plugging away at it and every time something came up uh, I just okay hey this might work and if it doesn't work well and so um, I'm really pleased and surprised at at well I think it's a pretty strong story and I'm pretty surprised and pleased about that. Tales for Late Night Bonfires explores interfusional storytelling, a blending of oral and written literatures as divined by the Cherokee writer Thomas King. Can you tell us more about interfusional storytelling? Oh, golly, yes. Um, when it's done well, um, and 
King attributes the creation of this form of storytelling to Harry Robinson and Insilken, or Insilk, Insilken's language. Insilk, um, storyteller from the Okanagan. Um, I lived in the Okanagan at the same time he did, and we're about eight miles apart, and I didn't even know about him. I mean, it's a big place still, but and what working with Wendy Wickwire, um, an emeritus prof at University of Victoria, um, who befriended him in back in the 70s, 77 or 76, I think. And she recorded him telling stories almost from the beginning. And she would go up just to hear stories. She didn't go up there to try to put together a book. She didn't try to go up there to one-up James Tate and, and other people, um, like, like the anthropologists in One Good Story, that one by Thomas King, which if you haven't read it, you ought to. Um, I demand it, or it dem actually it demands to be read. Um, and when the book came out, it looks... Like when, when you look at um, Harry Robinson's um, word on your heart, um, it looks like poetry The line because the line breaks. There's very little punctuation aside from, aside from the line breaks. And that's the way he told the story. So there would be, there'd be a phrase, a pause, another phrase, pause. And the more space between, or the longer the pauses, the more space between lines which is, um, I guess, the theory of how, how poetry looks on a page. So King wrote his PhD on basically on, on this style of writing and used a lot of Harry Robbins' work in his PhD, which I haven't read yet, his, his, um, his doctorate or thesis, whatever it's called. And when you read the stories, they start to come to life. Like when you read them aloud, and if you're listening to a storyteller read the story, it's like you're hearing a story being told, and you're seeing a story being told. Um, you're not, you're not sitting there. Uh, you know how some readers just kind of, hey, shout that mouth. Hey, get me out of here. Um, but when 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 Robinson does it, when King does it, and hopefully when I do it, um, it's hey. Shout, hey, shout that mouth. Hey, get me out of here. And and the story becomes animated and alive. And when I taught um an indigenous literatures class at the university a couple of years back, I I assigned a Harry Robinson story, and the class just sat there on their hands and we didn't know how to approach it. So I just opened it up and started reading. And and then lights went on all over the room. And the students absolutely loved the story once they knew how to read it. And so, so with interfusional writing, um, at least my understanding of it so far is, is it makes the story come to life. So there's almost a dramatic perspective to it. There's absolutely. Well, yeah, performative anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess same difference. Yes, absolutely. There's an easy, breezy, conversational tone that comes across in a lot of your narration, even when you're touching on serious or challenging topics. Um, how easy or difficult is it to, to achieve that kind of a tone? And what is your writing process when you're developing those narrative voices? Oh, um, the narrative voices just 
come to life as I'm writing. So oftentimes I'll be writing and and I'll stop and I'll act out the next line or two, and then I'll be able to write it down. Um, as to easy or difficult, I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, I absolutely hate um, overly earnest writing. Um, I think I think I think it's 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 a weakness and and should be abolished. And I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. That's going to get me. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I I like or I prefer to approach problematic content um, head on, and if I can get it out there, if I can get out there in a way that makes you laugh, um, and I've always written this way. And I didn't even like, um, I think I started off being accidentally funny. People would, I would read and people would start laughing and I go, what did I do wrong? Oh. And then I would look, and then I would look back and say, okay, maybe that's funny. And then I started to see where things could be funny or are funny and just polish them up a bit to make them a little stronger. So it's a lot less accidental now and, and more, um, intentional and I think being intentional kind of makes the story stronger. Do you think that maybe that that bit of humor that you're intentional about probably helps people connect to that difficult topic or serious topic that you're addressing? Is Do you think that's a, a benefit? Well, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to sound like I stole from Thomas King. I probably did. And if you can make someone laugh, then they have then they've actually heard what you're saying and then and then um the serious stuff can can trickle down and and come up later and it could open discussion but i think if you just go on and and go for the drama and go for the overly emotive stuff people shut down people stop hearing like those aspc ads um you know send 20 dollars a month and um because and all those all those super sad puppies and yeah, in the moment you want to, but then you get, they're just, they're just fucking with you. Uh, they're trying to guilt you into paying and, and um, that doesn't work for the long term. There is something wonderfully dramatic or cinematic about a lot of your writing. I mean, even the way it's laid out on the page sometimes reads to me like a screenplay or a script. Do you see any of these having a future on the screen? Yes, I do. I would love to see. Home Waltz as a 10 episode miniseries, not not a multi-seasonal show and not a movie. And some of the stories, like I think Catching Farts could make make a good um movie or short movie. Um Splatter Pattern could make a good short movie. And I would love to see that happen. Mm-hmm. So you'll be spending some time in Dawson City in the Yukon Territory later this year for a residency at Burton House, the childhood home of the late acclaimed Canadian author, Pierre Burton. How did that opportunity come about and what are you hoping to achieve while you're there? I applied and they liked my application. And I went, wow, you really like my application? Yeah. And so I'm going up there. Um, I'm the 
last one of the season, and I'm going up there for its storytelling season up there for the um, TH um, people. And so uh, I plan to spend a fair bit of time um, around their campfire, hearing their stories and reading mine, because I don't have them memorized. And I won't. Uh, it just won't happen. Um, initially, I was going to write one novel. I'm going to try to write a historical novel during NaNoWriMo, so in, in 26 days or so, because I'm leaving on the 28th for Whitehorse, 29th. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm working on a novel that takes place in 1898 in BC, based on a true story. And it's it's about a gold brick robbery, and um, it's it's fun. And I'm hoping to get a first draft done for NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month in November. And then I started working on another project that takes place about 1,500 years in the future. And it's a complete story now, and it's ready to come out. And so I might work on that in September. It's it's a lot, but we'll see. And also, it's I think it's going to be Northern Lights time up there. And the sun doesn't rise until after 8. So I don't have to be out there at like 2 o'clock in the morning, find a spot and get ready for the sun to come up. I just I don't really like the cold. But I love the idea of being up there. And um, I've heard nothing but good things about the people. And the past writers and residents up there have, have raved about the place. And a few have severed ties with the South and moved up there permanently. I don't think that'll happen with me. Um, I don't like the cold. And is anything literary happening in Whitehorse as well? Yes. Cool. Um, yes, I don't, I haven't done a lot of research, but I have, a, have an event as part of my residency in, in Whitehorse. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, I have, I say a buddy, I call him a kid. Um, he kind of migrated toward me when I lived in Campbell River and um, he was a great kid. And now he's an adult drummer and he's living up there. So we might reconnect. That's wonderful. What a chance of a lifetime. We'd love to hear your storytelling. We'd love to hear you read from some of your work. Would you like to set up your selection for today? So, okay, I'll, I'll read the first couple paragraphs of Splatter Pattern, maybe the first page or two. Anyways, a kid, a boy in town, drags his sorry half-breed ass up Main Street, only streets what most of us call it, carrying on him that kind of sad that attracts rain like a pile of crap attracts flies. So that kid, the boy, waiting in sadness, walks only street. Rain falls around that kid, the boy, all the time. Wades in sadness, we guess. Maybe he wades in sweat like rain. Could be an Elvis song, that kid, the boy, living in Heartbreak Hotel. Now that Elvis got himself a co-writing credit on that song. Heartbreak Hotel makes suicide a groovy thing. But that kid, the boy, don't see it that way. No, that kid, the boy, got himself so locked up, he don't see them thoughts, don't hear them bring words, can't speak none of it, neither. Anyways, that father says only cowards make suicide. Only one says jumping off the bridge will make him better, even heal him. That one, me who looks at me, comes from spirit world, maybe. Could it have come from all the bad stuff growing in that kid, the boy's heart, maybe? 
but we don't know for sure. Anyways, he says that boy's father lies and doesn't want him to get better. Sure. We hear them rumors and sometimes screams from the house, sometimes crying. That kid, the boy in alleys, under stairs, in the public toilet, probably at the house too. Makes sense, isn't it? I'll stop there. Thank you so much for joining us, G.A. Grissom Thwaite. The new short story collection published by Freehand Press is Tales for Late Night Bonfires. Get two coffees. Christmas is coming. Oh. <laughs>